I mean, you can get up if you need to. If you see somebody in, you know, the North 40 and you want to say, I speak Jesus to you, you can do that too. And at that, no one moves. Praise God. Well, I am excited to be here. I'm not excited for the reason so much that I'm here. Uh, Pastor is away, and most of you know uh, he is in recovery mode this morning, and so he has graciously asked if I would fill his shoes today, which is impossible, but I'm excited to share Jesus with you guys. So Pastor, I know you're watching this morning, and Vicki, and so we want to say hi to you guys. We love you. We miss you. We are praying for you, and we're excited to see you back in your spot there and back in your spot up here. Quickly. Amen. Amen. Uh, my, my dad and his wife Carolyn are here this morning, and I'm happy that they've made the drive all the way from Cesar this morning, an hour-ish, a little more. Um, I wanted to share something with you guys real quick. Years ago, dad and I went to Sparta to um, a church where they were having um, it wasn't really revival. They were just, they were having meetings and teachings and it was in the middle of the day, actually. And we went over to see a fellow by the name of Ed Vallow. And Ed Vallow was a great man of God, filled with wisdom. And his ministry was that of numbers. He would take the numbers that we know, one, two, three, four, five, and he would break them down into how they relate in the word of God and how they relate to us. So, you know, if you're in church, if you're a church goer frequently, maybe you think, oh, you know, we know seven is kind of a popular number. We hear of seven as being God's complete number. And so that's, that's kind of an easy one. We know that three carries great significance. Uh, there is balance and wisdom in the number three. And we see that in the Trinity. Uh, we know with seven, there's seven days in a week. And so much in the Bible draws out completion with the number seven. I wanted to share with you the number eight this morning, and this isn't the title. Um, we're not talking numbers all day, so if you hate math, you'll be like, oh no, number sermon. Um, but the number eight means new beginning. New beginning. We see this with Noah and his wife and his three sons and three daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law. They got on the ark and God had a new beginning as the flood came and they replenished the earth. Uh, on the eighth day, a baby boy, a Jewish baby boy, was circumcised. Uh, and, and there's just so much. Today, I want you to know that the, that the number eight is crucial to what we're going to talk about. And we're going to be in the book of Ruth today, a small Old Testament book. The title of the message is Ruth, the Adopted Foreigner. Ruth. And we'll begin in chapter 1. Eight is important in the life of Ruth because Ruth is, in fact, the eighth book of the Bible. And you, hopefully, by the end of today, will be able to see a new beginning in how it related to Ruth and how it relates to us. So let's look at Ruth chapter 1, and I'm going to read just a little bit this morning. Let's begin in verse number one of Ruth. I just want to give you a little bit of a backstory in case you've not heard of the character Ruth and you really don't know 
um, we need to know a few things. So let's begin reading in verse number one. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came to the country of Moab and continued there. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them, the boys did, they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. And in verse 5, Malon and Kilion died, also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. And so the beginning of this chapter doesn't sound very engaging or very interesting or very exciting in that they had to leave their homeland. Jenny was just praying and we were talking about the people of Ukraine and how they are having to flee. And so Elimelech and Naomi and the two sons left Israel due to a famine. They needed food for subsistence, as we do. And so they went to the land of Moab. And while they were there, the boys took wives that were of the land of Moab. They were foreigners. And in the context of the story, we see that the husband, Elimelech, dies. The two boys die. And now we have just the ladies. It's just Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. We read over this kind of callously and kind of quickly. But death is a very real part of life. It's not a pleasant part of life. The part of death we can take solace in is when our loved one passes and we know that they had a relationship with Jesus. We know where they're going. We know where they are. We know we'll see them again. And see, that's the exciting part. So even though there was sadness here and there was grieving and we grieve when we lose people we love. We grieve when, when something like this happens. There was this promise and they knew that they would see them again. But, but in the midst of this grieving, in the midst of the circumstance, Naomi, the mother, -in -law, the mother said, I'm, I'm going back home. I don't, there's nothing for me here. I've left my husband. My husband's left. He's, he's died. I've, I've lost my boys. I'm going to go back. And, and there's this little picture that I see of Naomi desiring to kind of set, hit the reset button. If you guys have had, ever had any issues with your phones, uh, I, I bug Neil a lot on technical things. And Neil has taught me this. The first troubleshooting thing you do when you have a problem is reboot, <laughs> okay? Now that might not fix it, but that's the first thing that you need to do. And so you're having issues with your phone. I don't know why I can't get on Facebook. It's not loading and stuff's happening. Turn it off, reset, restart, reboot. Uh, when video games first came out and we had this home system called Atari, my cousin, I didn't have an Atari. My cousin Dawn invited me over to her house to check out her new Atari gaming system. And, and there were two games that I fell in love with over there. And, and some of you might remember, and some of you are like, what in the world? Donkey Kong. <laughs> Donkey Kong. 
I love Donkey Kong. And uh, Pitfall, it wasn't near as exciting, but Pitfall, guy trying to get through all this stuff in like the jungle and such. But the coolest thing about Atari home system, unlike that of the system that you put a quarter in, you know, in an arcade, was that you could hit reset anytime you wanted to. And so here, I'm playing Donkey Kong, you get three lives, you know, little Mario's going, 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 and maybe he gets killed, and I'm like, man, I'm not even through the first screen yet, and I'll try the second guy, and he gets killed. I can see this game's going nowhere, so I said, Don, let's just reset. Let's start again. It's the coolest thing. I get the fresh start. And we see this in the life of Naomi. She said, I'm just, I'm just ready for something different. I've been here in Moab for a long time, and things haven't worked out, and I'm ready to go back home and hit reset. And this, this isn't in my notes, but this is just real quick for you. If you've taken a step away from God, he didn't move, okay? And you find yourself feeling the effects and the consequences of this moving away from God. And God is still there. And the it's this great picture, but the first step in hitting the reset button is just turning around and moving back to home. Just coming back to what God has for you. You say, I don't know why all these bad things are happening in my life. Now, I'm not saying it's because of your bad decisions, because I'm not God. But I know in my own life, there are so many, there were so many times that I, I'm like, what, what is going on? And why don't I have peace and victory in this? Why aren't the blessings of God falling on me? And his grace is always there. But his blessings come with his promises and with obedience. And I say, God, it's me. It's not you. You haven't moved. I moved. So I turn around. I do the John the Baptist. Turn yourself around. And Naomi said, I'm ready for a reset. I'm ready for a reset. And so I, I, I just, we've, we've laid the backstory. And so here we go. They are on their way back. The ladies, the two daughters-in-law are going with their mother-in-law back to Israel, back to Bethlehem. And it brings me to my first point this morning, and that is a single choice. Look with me, if you will, at verses 16 and 17. As they are going back to Israel, um, Naomi has this revelation. She said, I, you know what, ladies, go on back home to your mom and dad. Go back to Moab. I'm going back to Israel, but I can't take care of you and you can't take care of me. And so it would just be best if we parted. And so Orpah, daughter-in-law one, she says, okay, I'll head back. But Ruth says something great here in verse 16. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you are to return from following after you. For whether you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. Verse 17, where thou diest, will I die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part me and thee. And this is so powerful. Every time I read it, I get goosebumps. I get chills. Thinking of this, I don't know how old she was, mid-20s, maybe late 20s. She could have been younger than that. Who, this lady who knows nothing about the God of Israel, save what her mother-in-law has told her. 
She hasn't experienced God like you and I have on a firsthand basis. She hadn't experienced God like Naomi had. But Naomi had rubbed off on her so much that she said this, what you want, what you have, I want. Where you're going, I wanna go. Where you stay, I wanna stay. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. Where you die, I'll die. The determination, the stubbornness, if you will, because we think of stubborn as a bad thing, but I wanna be stubborn when it comes to the things of God. I don't want to cave. I don't want to bend. I want to be stubborn. I want to be stubborn to obey his word and walk in his path. Naomi said, I'm going with you. And you can read on, Naomi says, the Bible says, when Naomi saw that she couldn't change her mind, no matter what she said, she wasn't going to change Ruth's mind. They both headed back. There are times in your life where a single choice needs to be made. And I'm not talking about the single choice like Jenny was talking about, about what to wear. I mean, those are things that happen. I may say, oh, I'm going to wear this jacket because it might be cool. And in the midst of it, it's 95 degrees. And I I am so sad that I brought this jacket because it's hot. Or I may say, I'm going to have the spaghetti today, not the tacos. And the spaghetti comes and it tastes awful. And I paid $15.99 for it. Those are everyday decisions, good consequences, bad consequences. But let's look at this single choice this morning in value of the single choices that you guys have to make, that I have to make. Relationships. There's a cute little couple that sits over here. I won't say their name, Braden and Ava, but they're sitting over here. And, you know, there's a decision that has to be made. Are are we going to be in a relationship together? Are we going to value each other? Am I going to let you speak into my life? Are you going to let me speak into your life? That's important. You're welcome. (laughs) What about college? Adonai's back. In case you guys didn't know, she flew in last night. You have three fans. <laughs> the decision to go to college, four, four, thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. It's like we're in an auction, Mike, four. I bid four. Okay. <clears throat> college is an important decision. Occupation, an important decision. No greater decision than that of salvation. And I pray before this this sermon is done, that if you do not know Jesus and you're here or if you're watching by internet, that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior because a single decision is life-changing. It changed Ruth's life when she said, I'm not going back to Moab. It changed Naomi's life when Ruth said, I'm not going back to Moab. And maybe not this week, but I'm gonna give a teaser. If you come back next week, because pastor has allowed me to make this a two-part message. So in case you guys are like, we're still in chapter one. We're not going to get through this. I get two Sundays to do this. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully you'll be able to see not only did it affect Ruth and Naomi, but it affected all of Israel's history. This one decision that Ruth made. A single choice. 
there are certain people in the Bible I think about with a single choice. I think of Joshua in Joshua 24, 15. It says, Joshua told the people of Israel, and if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods on the Amorites, uh, on the other side of the flood, uh, the gods which your father served or the gods of the Amorites. But then he wraps this up and he says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Draw a line in the sand. And say, I don't know about you. I can't make that decision for you. But for me and my wife and my kids, this is how we're gonna serve the Lord. We're gonna love him. We're gonna follow him. What a decision. <clears throat> An unknown part of scripture that we reach read past real quick is in John 4, 4. We know about Jesus and how he ministered to the woman at the well, the Samaritan lady. But in verse four, it says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And that's King James wordage. We don't walk around saying kind of like that, but he must needs go through Samaria. And if you look at that originally, it says that he had, he had to, he had no choice because there was an assignment. He must needs because of a purpose, of a plan. He knew the father was telling him that he needed to go to Samaria. Now, you didn't, have to, you didn't have to get from point A to point B and go through Samaria. You didn't have to. But he, the Bible says he must needs because he knew that there was a plan and there was a purpose. Sometimes with the single choice, we need to see the importance of being determined and fixed and have our mind planted. Point number two. After Ruth's decision, we see something beautiful in, ver in chapter two, and it's blessings by the handfuls. To be able to reach into a candy jar and fill up your hand. Peanut M&Ms. Where are you, peanut M&Ms? She's hiding. There she is. Trinity loves peanut M&Ms to reach into her bag of peanut M&Ms and grab a handful and the look on her face. It's just overflowing. A few of them may fall out, but it's just overflowing. The blessings of handfuls. So Ruth goes back to Israel. See this, uh, neither one of them have a job and it wasn't like they could apply for aid. That wasn't the case. They have to eat. And so Ruth goes and gleans in a field that she doesn't own. You can read about it in the first few verses of chapter two. What that basically means is as they were uh, harvesting a field of grain, the poor, the beggars were allowed to walk behind the reapers and gather what they dropped. And so instead of the combine going through the fields and getting all the grain or the corn or whatever, people actually did that. And so here they're walking around and they're, they're gathering the grain and putting it in their bags. And if they drop any, the beggars are allowed to grab it for food. And here she is gleaning in the field. And let's look at, let's look at verse 16. Boaz, a gentleman there in Israel, owns the field. And he tells the reapers this after he finds out who she is after he finds out about Ruth and her backstory and the fact that she's a foreigner, he takes uh, a liking to her. He puts uh, mercy and compassion on the table for her. And he tells his reapers this. Look at verse 16. And I better get there myself. Chapter two, verse 16. 
Boaz says this, let fall also some of the handfuls on purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. And so the guys are like, what, this is what I'm paid to do. I'm paid to put the grain in my sack and we're going to reap this harvest. And Boaz said, I know, and it'll be fine. But when you're gathering and when you're putting things in your bag or in your big basket, accidentally drop a couple handfuls. I'm going to take all this wheat, all this grain. Whoops. Whoops. And Boaz is blessing Ruth by telling the reapers, drop handfuls for her. And for years, I'm saying 40 years, reading this account, I read it and I missed something. And I just want to share with you real quick what I missed. Angie, can we put that verse back up? I want them to see this. Verse 16, let fall also some of the handfuls, and I said, on purpose. Okay, what does it say? Hmm. See the, see the difference here. And one doesn't change the other. And so what Boaz said to the reapers was true. Handfuls on purpose purpose. And that shows I meant to. When you do something on purpose, I meant to do it. I was intentional. But when we look at the word of, here's what it paints for us. Boaz said, drop handfuls of purpose. The owner of the field has a purpose for you. Boaz not only intentionally blessed her, but he did it with a purpose. He did it with a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. God says, I know the plans, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. They are plans of good. They are thoughts of good and not of evil to give you an expected end, which means to give you hope, to give you a future. There is a purpose that comes when you are gleaning in the field of the master. He has a purpose for you. Don't think that he has forgotten who you are and where you are. Don't think that you are less than or pushed aside. Don't think that God only has a plan for those that are on this platform. God has just as much of a plan for me and for you and for everyone. The Bible says that his will is not that, that, that not any should perish, but all come to a, a repentance and a saving knowledge of Jesus. He wants relationship with all of us. And if we can realize that God is telling the Holy Spirit and sending his blessings of purpose for us, it's not just on purpose. God says this, I am good and loving and merciful. And that's his handfuls on purpose. 
And it's because I love you that I have a plan and a goal and an outcome for you. And that's of purpose. And when I saw this, I was like, because he wants to bless me, but he has a reason why he wants to bless me. He's good and he has a reason why he's good. He loves me and chose me and he has a reason why he loved me and chose me. And the same is for you today. The same was for Ruth back then. Handfuls on purpose, handfuls of purpose. Sometimes we miss out on those handfuls because we decide to leave the field before the assignment was done. I believe God had a different hope for the prodigal. I don't think he was super excited as the father was sad when the prodigal left because there were blessings that come from being under the hand of the father. But the prodigal said, I don't want any of that. I mean, he wanted the money, but he wanted his own life and his own decisions. And he found himself in a totally different field. (laughs) And sometimes we miss God's best for us because we leave the field. And we say, God, we don't trust you. We think our way is better. And the truth is, it's not. But I fall into the same category as you if you can say, yeah, I can see times that I've, I've left the field. That's not where God wanted me to be. I went into places, I did things, I said things, I walked in a path that wasn't intended for me. See, God wants you to be in the light. His word says that. But there are times that we specifically say, I'm gonna walk in darkness. I'm gonna come over here and make this decision because I can. And God said, yeah, you can, but it's not my best for you. Stay here. The prodigal left position and it affected his blessing until it hit him. What am I doing here feeding the pigs? My dad treats his servants a thousand times better than what I'm being treated right now. So here we have Naomi. We've left her in the field. She's gleaning handfuls on purpose, handfuls of purpose. She is excited because she's gonna take this back to her mother-in-law and they're gonna be able to eat for days for what she has been able to glean. My last point this morning is a thankful heart. A single choice brings blessings by the handfuls and that hopefully causes us to have a thankful heart. Um, Real quick, you don't have to look, but back at the end of chapter one, Naomi, when she got back home to Israel, they said, Naomi's back. And she said, don't call me Naomi. She said, because God has abandoned me. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter, because I'm bitter. I'm angry. Don't call me Naomi. The Almighty's left me. But something happened between chapter one 
and chapter 2, look at verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord, that would be Boaz, she's blessing Boaz, blessed be he of the Lord, and then she said, who, and that is re reference to God, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. She was able to take a 180, and she said, I'm blaming God, it's God's fault, and then she realized, no, 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 no. It's because of God that we're being blessed right now, and it's because of God and his goodness that we're here. And when you have a thankful heart, you do two things. You bless others and you bless God, just like Naomi did. First, she blessed others and she said, hallelujah, God bless Boaz for his kindness. Bless him for his compassion. Bless him for his, his showing of mercy in our lives. And then God, I bless you because you have not forgotten the living. You've not forgotten the dead. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your word is true. You are faithful and just, and you love me as much as you ever have. I am the apple of your eye. A thankful heart. What does the Bible tell us about being thankful? Well, a whole lot. I wanna share a couple verses with you. Philippians 4, 6. The Bible says, be careful, or another word there is anxious or worry. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. There is a part of praying that we sometimes forget. But Monica is, she's one of the best at it. And it's, it's not a, it's not a job, it's not a ritual, but Monica spends her prayer, just listen to Monica pray. She spends 95% of her prayer thanking God. God, I thank you for what you're doing and I thank you that you are true and I thank you that your promises are yes and amen. And she just spends her time just thanking God. Pastor says it a lot, but one of the greatest statements of faith is thank you. So when we pray, let's be quick to thank God and praise him for his blessings. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It doesn't say for everything give thanks, because guess what? Bad things happen to good people, and it's hard to be thankful for this, that, and the other. I said my dad's here today. Um, you know, the time passes, but, but years ago, um, I lost my mom. He lost his wife. And you say, how can you be thankful for that situation? And I said, I can't. I, it's hard. But the Bible doesn't tell me to be thankful for it. It says be thankful in it. In the midst of the fire, be thankful that God is the God that can walk with you in the fire. Know that the in is possible because it doesn't change his goodness. I can be in a circumstance or a situation and I can still be thankful because God is still good. I'm not thankful for it. I wish it didn't happen, but I'm trusting him because his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. And so I, I really hope that you come back next week because we want to tie uh, Ruth into us and see a little bit more of how her life relates to us. 
but I pray that your choices will always be led by wisdom. Big choices and little choices. I pray that the wise choices you make will produce handfuls, blessings by the handfuls. And in the midst of it all, I pray that you have a heart of thanksgiving. I think Ruth could say, God, when all I saw was the battle, you saw my victory. And God, when all I saw was a mountain, you saw a mountain moved. Because there's a trust and there's blessings that come when you're in the field and you don't leave walking where God wants you to walk. God, I thank you. Your word is true. And I thank you that now we are going to verbalize our thanksgiving in song. And we are going to worship you knowing that there are times that all we see is the battle, but you are the victory. And that's what you're bringing about in our life. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship him together.
mighty fortress you go before us nothing can stand against the power of our god you shine in the shadows you win every battle nothing can stand against the power of our god and almighty fortress you go before us nothing can stand against the power of our god you shine in the shadows you win every battle nothing can stand against the power that everything that we have, any kind of problems we have, Father, we just turn them to you, Lord. Let you take care of them. Well, we hope that you're blessed and uh, hope this encourages you throughout the rest of the week and uh, you're dismissed. In Jesus' name.